Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. A warning. This podcast includes violence, graphic details, and conversations about serious mental illness. And if you haven't listened to the first two episodes of Locked Inside, we recommend you start there first. Turn right on West Roosevelt Street. Most people probably wouldn't know where I'm going right now. In a quarter mile, turn right on to North 7th Avenue. A big complex that spans a few blocks, right on the edge of downtown Phoenix. Turn right on to North 24th Place. From the street, you can see stone and brick buildings and layers of barbed wire encasing parts of the facility. I've even caught glimpses through the fence of people in bright orange sweatsuits, walking laps around the yard or doing push-ups. Turn right onto North 28th Street. This looks and probably sounds like a prison, but this is different, even though some of the state's most violent people do live here. Turn right onto East Taylor Street, then the destination is on your left. The Arizona State Hospital. It's also where a five-person board you've probably never heard of makes decisions about releasing convicted killers and other violent offenders back onto the streets before their sentences are even close to being up. Stay well. Take your medicine. I will. Well, it doesn't sound like they dug very deep. You know, there's always a risk you can relapse. And you can relapse and either, you know, hurt yourself or somebody else. I'm Erica Stapleton, and this is Episode 3 of Locked Inside, Secured. And this time, we're heading to Arizona's State Hospital, where killers like Christopher Lambeth get treatment and freedoms they wouldn't have had in prison. Hypothetically, I can go to a baseball game or have lunch with him or something like that. And we're taking a hard look at the controversial board that has the power to let killers and other violent criminals back into the community. Do you have faith in the mental health system we have now? No, of course not. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million families building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. That's greenlight.com slash odyssey. I've been to the state hospital a few times now for reporting and can walk you through what it's like. The Arizona State Hospital, or ASH as some people call it, is a place where people can go for mental health treatment. And it doesn't take just anybody. There's a facility for sexually violent people. Then there's a civil hospital where adults can be court-ordered if they're deemed dangerous to themselves or others. Then there's the forensic hospital for certain people who have been involved in the criminal justice system. These people could be awaiting trial or they could be sentenced to the state hospital for treatment after committing a violent crime, like Christopher Lambeth was after he killed his grandparents. You'll remember from last episode, he pleaded guilty except insane, or GEI, 
and was sentenced 25 to life at the state hospital for treatment. I know you've heard a lot of acronyms so far, but there's one more that you'll hear a lot this episode. The PSRB, or Psychiatric Security Review Board. It's a mouthful, I know, but it's important to this story. The PSRB oversees all people who are found guilty except insane, and it's the board's decision to determine whether those people stay locked inside the state hospital or whether they're stable enough to be released back into the community. The PSRB is actually the reason I'm at the state hospital this trip. Hey there. Hi. Um, I'm here for the PSRB meeting. I'm heading through the many layers of security to go to one of their monthly yes, board you. meetings. What's your name? Erica Stapleton. Okay. I'm with 12 News. This is audio from my phone as no, I'm being screened to go inside. Can't take that back. So Even though it's a state board and journalists are supposed to be able to record these meetings, state hospital rules don't allow for video recording on its property, and we can't document anything from inside the boardroom. So I have to lock up all my belongings, including my phone, before I go in. I can't even take pen and paper inside. And then I'll get you a lock, okay? Perfect, thank you. You're welcome. With all the security and the very specific role this hospital plays, there aren't many visitors at these meetings. Mostly, it's just attorneys representing people found guilty except insane, or hospital staff members that can weigh in on a case. And in the age of COVID, some of these people just jump on the board's video call instead. It's not common for members of the public to just drop in. I like that aspect of being a lawyer. Maybe that's really kind of a little sugarcoating it a lot or being a little naive about it. But I really felt like if I could help people solve their problems, that would be a good day for me. This is attorney Nora Greer. She's a defense attorney who, over the years, says she's represented dozens of people at the state hospital deemed guilty except insane. They had to appear in front of this board. They, you know, they want to try to get you out of the hospital, or at least they want to try to get to the point where their conditions are better within the hospital. And I can help them do that. The whole goal of this law is for people who are deemed guilty except insane to get the help they need at the state hospital and get to a point where they're in remission and can potentially go back into the community. I mean, you can meet clients who are perfectly chatty people and they act like clients, you know, they kind of will go in and talk to you about all kinds of things. That goal of treating people until they're in remission, balanced with the fact that these people are convicted of violent crimes. I've never had a really bad time with a client, but I have had clients who make me a little nervous. Nora remembers meeting with clients at the state hospital where they'd be placed in a room for privacy. And I don't like admitting that because... You know, you shouldn't be afraid of the clients. But I've had a couple of guys I didn't like being in that little room with the door locked. Again, clients who made me nervous were just kind of clients, I think, who had committed violent offenses against women. And I had a couple of, you know, I had a guy who killed his wife. That's the kind of client that would make me feel really nervous. And sometimes, too, they just seem a little bit hyper. And and uh, that sort of is like kind of... Unsettling. Unsettling, yeah. And the other thing is that you, to get out of these little interview rooms you now have, you have to punch the button. And sometimes, you know, the people, on the, I mean, maybe there's stuff going on in the ward they need to take care of, but man, it can be pretty slow to get somebody out there to let you take you out of that room. This PSRB system is actually pretty rare, with only three states in the nation using these boards, Oregon, Connecticut, and Arizona. And in Arizona, it's a very small part of the criminal justice system. The latest available data from 2020 
shows the board was overseeing 113 people deemed guilty except insane. To put that in context, there are more than 33,000 people incarcerated in Arizona prisons right now. Most patients deemed GEI go before the board every two years for a status update, where the board determines if that person should receive privileges on the hospital grounds or eventually be released back into the community. And these board meetings are usually when these check-ins happen, unless the board needs to intervene in a case for some other reason. Nora remembers the feeling of going before the board with her clients. I, I think alternately the board was kind of frustrating to deal with. The board has five members. Three are mental health professionals. One works in probation and parole, and the other is a community member. These people are all appointed by the governor of Arizona. The board doesn't have any oversight, so whatever these five people decide goes. And to be clear, the people that are guilty except insane are convicted killers or other violent offenders who at one point posed such a threat to the community that they had to be sentenced to treatment. The decision to let these people live in the community again should be taken seriously. First of all, I was shocked to hear that he was let out of the release from the state mental hospital because from covering the, the double murder of his grandparents. This is Cheryl Kornman, the former Tucson reporter from Locked Inside, Episode 2. She's talking about Christopher Lambeth, who, instead of serving 25 to life at the state hospital for killing his grandparents, got out and started living in the community again after only nine years in the hospital. He'd been living in a group home in the community for a few years before he allegedly killed Stephen Howells in that group home. You know, in talking to the friends of the grandparents and the, the deputies who handled the case, th this is a guy that probably needed to be hospitalized for the rest of his life because he couldn't, because of his mental illness, he couldn't be trusted to take his own medication. You know, he needed to be supervised 24-7. Naturally, a reporter's next step is to ask, where did things go so wrong? How does that happen? You know, how does that happen that somebody who is so ill approved, you know, that they deemed it was okay to release him to that kind of environment? And I read what they said, and it, what was that based on? You know, it doesn't sound like they dug very deep, and it also sounds like they ignored the um, brutality of the murder of his own grandparents who had been taking care of him, <clears throat> you know, almost full time for a couple of years before he killed them. So I think there was a, you know, lack of... Um, not just understanding of how sick he was, but I think the state board dropped the ball. By now, I've looked at all of Christopher Lambeth's case files we could get our hands on, including court records and files from the PSRB. And after reading all of these, I can walk you through how a lot of this unfolded. I told you in episode two, that Christopher Lambeth killed his grandparents in 2005 and was sentenced 25 to life at the state hospital in 2007. But in 2016, just nine years later, Christopher Lambeth was approved to live in the community, meaning he no longer had to live at the state hospital, even though he was still under the PSRB's watch. His release required 24-7 supervision at a residential facility and sticking to all his medications, appointments, and other outpatient treatment. Soon after his release, it seems he moved into Tilda Manor, the group home in Gilbert, outside of Phoenix. The next person to come in before the board is Christopher William Lambeth. In a records request, the PSRB turned over the audio from all of their meetings 2017 to present, 
so we can actually hear what happens when Lambeth goes before the board in September 2017, after he'd been living in the community for roughly nine months. Uh, we also have um, conditional release monthly reports. The chair of the board at this time explained why Lambeth was there. His treatment team was asking for less supervision based on all the success he'd been having in his 24-7 setting. His sister is even there to testify on his behalf. And before we hear her in this recording, you should know that Lambeth's sister declined to talk with us for this podcast or any of our other reports. Hi, I am Chris's sister, and I've been with him through this for a very long time, and I've been watching his progress, and his progress has just been phenomenal. Um, He has complied with everything. Um, He is very proactive in his treatment and his recovery because he is so determined to get better and to be a normal functioning adult. Um, He is doing things that normal, healthy adults do. He's gotten a job on his own. He's got himself on a sports team. Um, He cooks his own meals. He does his own laundry. I mean, he takes care of himself completely. Wow. For someone who'd been locked inside the state hospital, those changes seem pretty significant. We learn Lambeth got a job at an Amazon warehouse in Phoenix, working an early morning shift. He also played ice hockey on a rec team at a local rink. So I think at this point... Um, it would be very bene- extremely beneficial for him to start gaining those other independent skills um, that he can start doing them on his own so he knows how to do them and so that he can survive as a functioning adult. So, and he's great with everything that we do together. We spend quite a bit of time together, so I really see his progress and what he's able to accomplish. And she's not the only one. His treatment team and attorney marveled at his progress, as his attorney put it. Hypothetically, I can go to a baseball game or have lunch with him or something like that. So I'm very proud of his uh, improvement. Uh, I've encouraged him to uh, follow up and keep on his drugs. Drugs being his medications. We'll circle back to that in a bit. At this point, the board is impressed, but they haven't been won over just yet. Another board member chimed in. Is there a concern, like, with no staff present at certain times, like, about the other people? Is that a concern at all to him, or is that do you factor all that in with who else is in this place? Uh, well, we don't determine who would be in the placement with him. Basically, there's just no overnight staff, and the clinical team has no concerns of overnight behaviors for Chris. That's worth repeating. His clinical team said they had no concerns Lambeth would act out with less supervision. And with that, the board was convinced. Did you guys actually vote? vote? We have no, we have no, we haven't. We have a motion in the second. All those in favor, say aye. 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 Any opposed? Um, stay well. You. Take your medicine. I will. <laughs> All the laughing aside, the board voted to approve Lambeth for a flex care home that would have 15 to 16 hours of supervision each day instead of the 24-hour supervision he'd been under. And it didn't stop there. Uh, the, uh, the next person to come in front of the board is Christopher Lambeth. In September 2018, just one year later, he'd be back before the board again. At this point, he hadn't moved out of Tilda Manor, 
because there weren't any beds available at any of the facilities in the area offering less supervision. Still, his team was asking for more freedom, independent living. That meant Lambeth would live on his own, but should have services available to him to continue his treatment. The board briefly discussed his progress, his job at Amazon, and how he gets around the community. Can I ask, how do you get to your Amazon workplace? Uh, Or like to the hockey games? Uh, Do you use public transportation? Do you have access to a vehicle? Um, Actually, a lot from Jarrah sets up transportation through Vail. Or sometimes a friend will take me to my hockey games. Some of that was difficult to hear, but that was Christopher Lambeth telling the board that he has rides to get him to work and to his hockey games. He doesn't say much at these meetings. Most of the questions are directed at members of his treatment team or his attorney, and they move pretty quickly. After that exchange, the board went into executive session, which is not open to the public. Typically, this means they're discussing confidential information. When they go back to regular session, they put it to a vote. Uh, Any further discussion? If not, all those in favor say aye. 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 Any opposed? I guess I'll be opposed, uh, and it's just that I would feel more comfortable if uh, we could go from a 24-hour to a FlexQuick Care Plus. That was the board's chair, Dr. James Clark, questioning whether Lambeth was moving too fast. But board majority ruled Christopher Lambeth could go live on his own. The decision was made, and remember, what the board says goes. I don't even know how this guy got out. I mean... He's not my client. I don't know how he got out. Here's attorney Nora Greer again. I represented him one time out there because his lawyer was gone for the day and it was just, we were just reaffirming his status with the hospital. So I'm, and I don't think I'm revealing anything, any of our lawyer client interaction by saying that, which was very small amount to a visit and a hearing, um, that, you know, I don't, know what was going on with that guy. I mean, I can't figure out why he went to such a low level of supervision so quickly. Moving to a place with 24-hour supervision to a place with none could be a challenge for anyone required to go to meetings, appointments, and stay compliant with medications. You know, there's always a risk you can relapse, and you can relapse and either, you know, hurt yourself or somebody else. The other thing, too, is if you're not ready, you, you can't do what you need to do to be successful. Remember, The whole point of the guilty accept insane deal is for these certain people who commit violent crimes not to go to prison and to get the mental health treatment they need so they could potentially go back into the community. You want this to work when you let them go. I mean, although I think you do have to be patient with people and you know people are going to mess up. And but as I said, yeah, you're right. You want to be you want them to be able to to basically function on a level to say be you know be successful. Each year, the PSRB puts out a report showing how many people are under its watch. But it doesn't detail things like how many murderers are out on release. So we had to try and figure it out ourselves. After looking at more than 2,000 pages of PSRB files, I found that within the past five years, there were at least 13 murderers out on release to the community that the board was supposed to be monitoring. That included Christopher Lambeth, plus a lot of other disturbing cases like a man who stabbed his mother to death with a marijuana pipe, another man who killed his roommate and kept the body in a bathtub, and a woman who killed her eight-year-old daughter. She was let out so she could raise another child, her son. 
It's possible there could be more murderers out on release, but the board wouldn't break down that information for us. A lot of them are going to get out of the hospital anyway, and they should get started on doing stuff that helps them do better when they're in, in, in with the rest of us as opposed to, like, you know, being on a locked ward and bang, you're out the next day, and what's going to happen to you, you know? You don't, you don't want to see that with these people. The PSRB can also revoke your privileges. So if a person violates the terms of their release, the board can bring them back to the state hospital. The board wouldn't say how often this happened, so again, we're going off of our own research. Most of the murderers I identified hadn't killed again, but some of the people on release returned to the state hospital for not taking their medicine, using illegal drugs, or having contraband in a group home. Some of the minutes don't say why a person was ordered back to the state hospital, and in some cases, others went on to commit another violent crime after their time at the state hospital was up. So they were no longer under the board's watch, but it makes you wonder whether their treatment at the state hospital was really effective. 12 News covered a sad example back in 2015. Good evening, thanks for joining us. We're starting with breaking news tonight. We're getting new details on a gruesome crime, the beheading of a Phoenix woman. Police that woman was Trina Heisch, and she was killed by her husband, Kenneth Wakefield. Our old newscast paint a disturbing crime scene. On July 25th, 2015, Phoenix police found Trina's body in the apartment, her head cut off, their two dogs inside, mutilated. Their only suspect, Kenneth Wakefield, who gouged out his left eye and self-amputated his arm. He was taken to the hospital before he was taken to jail. No matter what she did or anything in her life, um, nobody deserves to die like that. That's part of an interview with Trina's daughter and mother right after Trina died. They knew there were warning signs, red flags. She told me that she felt like God was going to take her soon, that she was growing wings and she was going to fly to heaven soon. <laughs> she was right. The couple had only been there together for three months, according to the neighbors, who said they often heard yelling and fighting. Police responded to the home five times before this deadly call and said Wakefield also had a history with drugs. But that morning... Nothing stopped him from killing Trina. There was something really severely wrong with him and she, had, she was going to leave him. And she didn't have time for that. Trina Heisch and Kenneth Wakefield met at the Arizona State Hospital. Both had tried to kill a family member and both were found guilty except insane. And both were under the watch of the PSRB according to the board's records. Trina got out first in 2010 after finishing her sentence at the state hospital. Wakefield's sentence was up at the end of 2014, but he got at least two chances to go out and live in the community on conditional release before that. Both times, the PSRB revoked his privilege and brought him back to the state hospital. The public records don't say what happened, just that he violated his release orders. The last time he lost this privilege seemed to be just a few weeks before his sentence ended. He was getting out, whether he still needed mental health treatment or not. Here's Trina's mom again. I was never afraid of him, except this last time that he got out of the hospital. It wasn't him. It was totally strange because he wasn't the same. When he was released, PSRB records show the board wanted him to continue getting treatment, including ongoing supervision. The board asked the county attorney's office to start that process. But that didn't happen, and it's not clear why. I'd question certainly whether or not he was released with the right supports and what he needed to be, you know, to be successful. 
Attorney Nora Greer actually represented Trina Heisch while she was sentenced to the state hospital. You know, she did some really, apparently could do really nice watercolors. And that was what I remembered most about her was, you know, you know, that she did nice watercolors and certainly she did not deserve to have this happen to her anyway. Um, I felt really bad. I felt, you know, you feel, feel sad about this, about this stuff happening. Um, and it should not be going, it should not happen, but it does. Wakefield was charged with second-degree murder and animal cruelty for killing his wife, Trina, and hurting their two dogs. He wailed during his first court appearance, where he stood in front of a judge with an eye patch and bandaging where he cut off his arm. The hearing is really hard to listen to, and you can't help but think about his mental health history. This time, he was sentenced to nearly 30 years in prison, not the state hospital. Right now, he's still serving that sentence. His rap sheet shows he's been in trouble while in prison, with recent infractions for fighting an aggravated assault on a staff member. I want to point out, too, that some people don't have problems when they're back in the community. After reviewing dozens of cases, I found a lot of people try and stick with their treatment plans, showing it's possible to remain in stable remission. I've been in the boardroom when people deemed guilty except insane were approved for another level of freedom. Sometimes there are tears of joy. Family members sit in and show their support, and these people go on to never have any issues. Nora's seen it too. Human behavior itself sometimes is not that predictable, or it's not that, you know, sometimes people do behave in, in, in surprising ways. Bottom line, the board can't predict the future. But was the board doing everything it could to at least come close? Because the board was created by a state law, the closest thing it has to oversight is the state legislature, which could change the law and therefore impact the board. I think the board uh, members uh, do good work, uh, make reasoned decisions, and are very careful to make sure that the public uh, is kept safe and protected. This is the board's most recent chairman, Dr. James Clark, defending his board in a November 2019 state Senate hearing. The Senate was trying to determine what to do with the board after a state audit in 2018 found the board was making decisions with inconsistent data, like mental health reports lacking, quote, sufficient details. Because of this, the audit claimed it was hard for the board to make timely and consistent decisions. Here's attorney Nora Greer again. I've heard that criticism made. I don't really want to say, say that that's totally true, but um, yeah, sometimes it, it wanders to the back of your mind. Um, I don't know how much they talk to each other about what they're looking for and things like that. The board claimed it did fix the problems and the state Senate approved the board to run for another eight years. We asked the PSRB and current board members several times to do an interview with us, but they never wanted to talk about this. In fact, board staff was advised not to talk with the press about Christopher Lambeth's case at all. Their worst nightmare is what's happened, is that they let somebody out, he wasn't properly supervised, and he went out and committed a homicide. To them, that's their worst nightmare. At this point, Christopher Lambeth pleaded not guilty to the group home killing and hasn't been convicted. Mr. Lambeth comes before the board today for a two-year hearing. There's His no last board check-in was in August 2020, about eight months before the group the home killing. For... Although Christopher Lambeth had been approved for independent living nearly two years before, he still hadn't left the group home Tilda Manor. He's been 
living in the community for a long time in a 24-hour FlexCare Plus. He was still under round-the-clock supervision and had been since he'd been released from the state hospital more than three years before this. His treatment team explained it had been tough to find a place for him to live. Then there's this. He's been actually doing wonderful. We just kind of want to move forward with his progress. His outpatient team said Lambeth wanted to stop taking one of his antipsychotic medications, something he'd been taking since at least 2015, when he was still at the state hospital. Only because of the side effects. Um, he appears very lethargic when he does take it, and he wants to be able to function and have that energy to be able to work. She goes on to say that the nurse practitioner that prescribes Lambeth his medication was reluctant to take him off. And no, Lambeth is prescribed his medications by a nurse practitioner, not a doctor. The nurse practitioner um, has been kind of cautious about removing people off of medications um, since coming out of the state hospital. Um, so he was recommending that the, the board, if they were in agreement, he would move ahead um, with discontinuing that medication, but will not make that decision without you guys. Input. Remember in episode two, when Lambeth told detectives he wasn't on his medication when he killed his grandparents? Changing his medications up seems like it should be a serious conversation. He's the clinician. Uh, he's able to make that independent decision if there's some uh, reason, like side effects or some medical condition uh, that interferes with a person staying on the medication. So that's really his call uh, you know, if any other board members have any other um, comments on that, but I don't think that that's our call to direct him, since we're not involved in his care, uh, to taper off that medication. The board chair said it wasn't their call, but another member had this to offer. Uh, and I would suggest not moving him to a lower level of care uh, if a medication change is made to make sure that that medication change does not cause a decompensation of his current mental status and the fact that he's quite stable. At this point, the board questioned why they even approved Lambeth for independent living two years ago, when he still hadn't been able to move out of the group home. So currently, we did put um, a community living application. He's on a wait list for. He has taken one tour, but he's also had some reservations also about going fully independent without, you know, having everything in place. Lambeth himself had reservations about living on his own. I went back and listened to the 14-minute hearing over and over, and a few things stood out. No one seems to directly ask him what he wants to do. There was also no discussion of any risk assessment. It's possible there was a recent risk assessment in Lambeth's confidential files, but we can never know with the PSRB dodging our questions. You have to wonder, was Christopher Lambeth really ready to move to less supervision? Do you have faith in the mental health system we have now? No, of course not. <laughs> Nora retired over the summer in 2021 and had to turn over all her PSRB cases to whoever else would be taking on her contract. I don't think it works really well. I mean, we don't, you know, we don't put the resources we need them and we don't have people who, I don't want to say everybody in there is acting in bad faith because I don't. I think there are people in there who care and really want this stuff to work better. And it's not because, you know, 
they just don't have, again, I think a lot of it is resources. We don't put resources towards what, what, we're, what we want to do. So, of course, it's not going to work really well. And it's not just the board facing criticism. Unbelievable. I know Chris. Next time on Locked Inside. And he was one of the most mellow, even-tempered fellows there. We're going back to the scene of the crime, that group home in Gilbert where we'll introduce you to somebody who really saw what was happening inside that house. He hated it. I, I, I hated it. And try and figure out how a person could wind up dead in a place that's supposed to have 24-7 supervision. How did they let this happen? Anyone working with or representing Tilda Manor declined to talk with 12 News at this point in our story. Christopher Lambeth's sister declined to talk with us for this series. Christopher Lambeth's attorney at the time of this recording did not respond to our requests for comment. The PSRB declined to comment. Locked Inside is written and edited by me, Erica Stapleton. Executive producer is Katie Wilcox. 12 News reporter William Pitts contributed to this story. Fact-checking is done by 12 News intern Andrew Onadera. Audio mixing is done by Richard Humphreys at Tacoma Media in Silver Spring, Maryland. Locked Inside is produced by the 12 News I-Team and Vault Studios. A special thank you to Will Johnson and Reed Redmond with Vault Studios. If this story resonates with you or you want to share your experience, send us an email at connect at 12news.com. We'll catch you next time on Locked Inside. <laughs>